0: Alright guys, welcome to today's show and on the show with me today, I've got Morgan Rice and I'm super pumped to talk to Morgan because he's actually from Arizona and that's a state that I'm hoping to be hunting here in the next month or so uh, for archery mule deer. So I'm going to be picking his brain a lot, seeing what he's got to offer, seeing what his experiences have been and uh, hopefully he's got some tips and tricks for me. But I want to fill you in on a recent hunt that I went on me and a couple friends went up to my buddy Isaac's family land and we went up there to waterfowl hunt, maybe do some coyote hunting. And I'm telling you, it was one of the best uh, waterfowl hunts that I've had in Missouri, maybe ever. I mean, it wasn't the best ever, but one of the top 10 for sure. And yeah, we ended up shooting a lot of birds. We didn't hear much. We were kind of nervous that we weren't going to see a whole lot of birds or even get any shooting because we were fully set up in the blind probably 30 minutes before legal light. And normally when we do that, we can hear wings whipping around, we can hear ducks quacking overhead, whatever that might be, but we heard absolutely nothing until like a minute before season. And then all of a sudden we started seeing birds. And I'm not going to give too much away because I'm hoping to do a podcast with Drew and Isaac, the two guys that I went hunting with, and uh, yeah, there's a lot to be talked about. So hopefully you guys uh, will look forward to that episode coming out soon. In the meantime, let's hop on with Morgan and see what's going on.
1: Like he was doing things that were just
0: bad ass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, uh, I've got Morgan Rice, and we connected again over social media. Um, He reached out, and I was like, man, he's from Arizona. I'm actually planning an Arizona hunt, I think in January. I might have to pick your brain on some of that, but uh, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for
0: having me on. Absolutely. Why don't you start by just sharing with the listeners? a little bit about yourself, maybe how you got into hunting, and uh, what that looks like for you today.
1: So I, um, I grew up hunting. I started hunting when I was about 10 or so. Um, did my hunter education course in Arizona. Um, the minimum age in Arizona to hunt big game is 10 uh, with the hunter education. So I got that done as quick as possible. And then uh, from there, pretty much started just bow hunting. Um, never really put in for a whole lot of big game hunts. I had a, a couple like over-the-counter uh, deer hunts, which are very popular here in Arizona. Um, had an over-the-counter elk hunt, which are pretty, um, how do I say this? They're kind of, they're pretty uncommon um, in Arizona. They're extremely difficult. Um, But yeah, that was kind of how I got started. And then uh, I was kind of taken under um, one of my best friend's dad's wing when I was about 14, 15, all the way through high school. And he kind of taught me how to glass and how to find deer and how to find elk and kind of really just showed me the ropes of, you know, what a bull elk track looks like, what what a mule deer buck track looks like. And all that kind of stuff. And so it was, uh, it was a lot of fun growing up with him and, and him showing me and kind of taking me under his wing. So, yeah.
0: That's awesome. Um, so in Arizona, you, you said there's over the counter options, but Mm -hmm. can, is it like a lot of the Western States where you have to kind of pick, do I want to shoot a doe or a buck or is there a possibility to get two tags a year? so in arizona it's antlered only there are
1: no doe tags um aside from one hunt they they just opened up maybe last i think last year they opened up a doe hunt in one of the units in northern arizona um for archery only it's it's one of the uh, they call it a metro unit so it's kind of like around town um it's up by flagstaff nice but uh that's that's draw only Um, but yeah other than that it's all antlered in arizona so it's it's buck only um and then how the the structure works as far as your tags is you can only harvest one deer per year okay per calendar year and then you um so like this is a whole separate discussion too but uh just this year they, they changed up a bunch of the hunts for the over the counter in december they closed down a bunch of units down in southern arizona um so a bunch of them are now just open in january so a oh, lot okay. of those opportunities have gone away um, but that doesn't mean you still couldn't come hunt some of the units um, in december there's still a surplus of units that are open so with the opportunity to kill uh, coos deer or mule deer. Nice. Um, and there's good bucks in all the units. So yeah.
0: Do you know what, uh, what kind of percentage they're running for success on archery hunts down there? So how Arizona
1: works is they don't have any mandatory harvest reporting. So there's really no way to tell per se, like exactly how many animals are being Taken in a given season, but um, I was I listened to another podcast yesterday, and um, one of the guys was saying that um, on average it's about ten percent. Oh, okay. The tags that were sold over the counter were uh, actually were actually deer harvested. Okay. So um, it's which is about the same as, is, is equal to about what, um, so like, in if you put in for a deer or elk hunt or, or any big game hunt in Arizona, non-residents have a 10% um, tag allocation to them or up to 10%, I should say. It's, it's not 10% plus, it's, it's up to 10%. Nice. So, um, so yeah, it's about equal to that. So, I mean, it, it's a tough hunt. It can be super tough. It's a grind. It can definitely be a grind. Yeah. Um, but a lot of those, a lot of those units down South hold a really good population deer. So you'll see deer. It's just a matter of what you're willing to try and harvest and, you know, all that. So, uh, yeah.
0: Do they, do they do antler restrictions or point restrictions at all?
1: No. And I wish they would in some of these units, but, um, they don't. So okay. you could, I mean, last day you could, you know, drive down the road and shoot a, a spike or a forky if you wanted to. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. There's no antler restrictions
0: here. Okay. Yeah. I've got, I've got a friend that I met through uh renovation competition, actually. She's a good friend of my wife and I, and she, mm-hmm has had her heart set on doing an Arizona archery hunt for her first hunt. So she got a, she got a bow, um, and she's just been shooting it a ton. And she's like, man, I really want to go, but I know nothing about hunting really at this point uh, other than I want to get into it, I want to go out and do it. And she loves to like get out and adventure, hike a bunch. And so she's like, hey, I really want to do it in Arizona. Would you come down and hunt with me? And so I don't know the exact dates we're planning on going but we're looking at sometime in January and I've okay. never archery hunted any type of western game never hunted archery hunted mule deer elk anything I mean it's all been it's all been whitetail so it's going to be a lot different than carrying my rifle um, and just needing sure. to get within several hundred yards instead of you know 40 50 60
1: Right. Yeah. It's, um, one thing I can tell you for sure about spot and stock deer or any big game really is that you just got to put stocks in, Yeah. you know, you, you have to, you know, even if it's not an animal that you're willing to harvest, put the stock in and just see how close you can get, you know, and then you might change your mind if you get close enough, you know, Yeah. but it's, um, but definitely, definitely try and make as many stocks as you can to try and get that the feeling of how things need to work out um and it it definitely helps to have um somebody else as a spotter you know it staying back and glassing for you and if you have radios which are legal to use in arizona you can use handheld two-way radios oh cool um, yeah so um there's a there's a couple of western states that that don't allow that that is illegal but um here in arizona you can so that's a very effective method um because once you drop off the hill and you go try and find that animal you're trying to stalk it looks totally different yeah from from what it looked like up on your vantage point glassing so that that is that is huge for sure to have a spotter
0: yeah we've we- out West we've been on plenty of hunts where we've watched one guy like one of our um, hunting party they'll go out after an elk or they'll just be working a mountain um, and going to a common spot that we see elk and I'm like, man we could mm-hmm. get him a big old six by six right now if we could if it was legal to text you know we watched him one time I, I think he could hear the elk down below him but he was on the same hillside and there was a bunch of cedars. Um, that this elk was moving back and forth in and he like we were probably watching him from 1200 yards and he just worked back Mm -hmm. and forth on this ridge line and the elk was underneath him the whole time i mean it was probably within 50 to 75 yards of him for 20 minutes and then finally i i I can't remember what he said, if he heard it or if he smelt it and was like, man, there's one right here. Anyways, he ended up started, starting to work down the hill to get a different vantage point and it blew the elk out across this meadow. And the elk got out into the meadow about 200 yards from him. He had a rifle and I was like, man, it would be so perfect if I could just call him right now and be like, hey, turn to your left, walk 10 yards and you're going to have a broad shot on this thing. But Uh, in Colorado, that's illegal, and so we just watched it all unfold, and then broke his heart with the news afterward. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that
1: that is pretty heartbreaking. But yeah, like it, like I said, in Arizona, it's it's totally legal, and we've used them a bunch of times. I actually invested in one of the Garmin Rhinos, um, the GPS and and two way radio, and all of my buddies that I hunt with, they all have one too, so I can, you know track where they're at on the GPS and then also be able to talk to them two way radio and, um, do all that. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a, an effective tool to use. Um, and we usually get like the little earpieces that you can plug into the radio. It's kind of a pain in the butt cause you have a wire, yep. but it's definitely super effective when you can use, um, some sort of communication to say, Hey, they're like 30 yards on the other side of that tree. If you just step around this tree, you might be able to see them, you know?
0: Man, so that would be so cool. I I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully uh, we can find a mule deer for her and I can walk her into it. Cause like I said, I've never been able to do that before, but it would be a ton of fun to just be sitting back, getting the big picture of it and, and walk her into something. Um, what, what would you say as far as like deer habit, um, goes out there are they are they typically that part of the year staying in the sun because it's cooling off uh do they favor a certain like north facing south facing slope anything like that
1: um yeah a lot of it depends on how warm it is if it is super warm and um they are pretty inactive during the middle of the day as far as mule deer go um coos deer are totally different like if you're if you're trying to hunt coos deer you are you stay out there all day yeah. and even for mule deer too in the rut like they they'll get up and move around and they'll push those and you know they'll do what they have to do um with the rut and everything but um I've seen a, a lot of coos deer in the middle of the day just get up and mill around and you know kind of hang out or, or just get up just enough out of their beds to to move to the shadier side of the tree for the rest of the day. Okay. Um, Yeah. A lot of it is super weather dependent. If it is super warm, then they do tend to bed down fairly early in the morning. Um, But yeah, I mean, if you can catch them early in the morning, then excuse me, and find out kind of where they're bedding, then you can kind of sneak in there and wait for them to get up and kind of do what they need to do and kind of make a plan from there. Yeah. Um, the other thing too, is the moon phase affects them quite a bit out here, uh, that I've noticed. Um, like if there's a full moon or anything close to a bright moon, typically the middle of the day is a little more active okay. since they've been up all night and rutting around and doing their thing. Um, so middle of the day can definitely be more productive. Um, you know, I, I would still be out early in the mornings and and staying out as late as you can until, you know, you can't see anymore anyways, but, uh, the middle of the day, you can definitely see deer. So don't, don't ever count out any part of the day for sure. They're, they're up and moving all the time, especially that time of year.
0: Yeah. So when, uh, you mentioned the rut, when does that happen in Arizona?
1: So typically, um, the mule deer will start rutting, like the middle of December ish, um, all the way through Christmas into January. Okay. And then, um, the coos deer are the same way. It seems like the, the coos deer run a little bit later in like Southern Arizona, but like where I'm at in central Arizona, it, it would be, I, I wouldn't be hard pressed to say that, uh, some of the coos deer start running in late December Okay. up here. Um, but, yeah, it's – it's you can see rut activity all the way from the 1st of December until the third week in January sometimes. It, it's Jeez. just – it all depends. Like, it is super weather dependent with the rut, too. If it's warm, they're not going to rut a whole lot, or they're not going to – it's not going to appear that they're rutting really hard. Um, but, yeah, they, they are – it's a, it can be a super long cycle in Arizona. So I feel like it's kind of, it can kind of be like a, it can almost kind of be, um, hit or miss. Like if I, if I could tell you to come a, a certain date, I would, but like, I think your, your best dates would probably be like the end of December the last week of December after Christmas and probably the first two weeks of January would probably be your best three week window to try and make plans to come out as, as far as trying to catch the rut full swing would be my recommendation for sure.
0: Okay. I feel like somebody needs to make a map like of the whole country and then just have, have it numbered like first animals to come into the rut, second, third, fourth, and then you can almost just travel that route and, and, and catch a ton of different species in different states in the rut. Because, I mean, I'm very familiar yeah. with whitetail and kind of the different parts of the country that I hunt when they come into the rut. Mm-hmm. But then once you get out west, it's crazy. I mean, moose come in at a different time than elk, which come in at a different time than mule deer and coos deer. And, I mean, I feel like you could chase a lot of different animals all throughout the year and catch them all rutting. Totally. Well, and what's crazy here, too, is that the deer that
1: are on the north rim, like on the Kaibab and up on the strip in that country, they rut like in November. Okay. So they rut like they rut way earlier than the deer south of the Grand Canyon do, which is it, it, it is super strange. Like yeah. and it's really like I mean, you have like 10 miles across the canyon between the north rim and the south rim at the at the widest parts probably. And they run it two totally different times, like, like a month or month and a half apart. It's just, it's Jeez. super weird how it works like that. Yeah, it is. It is super strange. I've never, and I don't know if there's any, been any like scientific research of why or yeah, it's just, it's super strange. So
0: yeah, that's wild. I want, yeah, it is. I'm going to have to look into that and see, or if anybody's listening and knows just write in and tell me, right. uh, that's cool though. Yeah what uh what are i guess some of your like most memorable hunts out there um do you have any stories that really stand out so
1: this year was by far my best year um i drew an early archery elk tag um and one of the best units in the state and i uh i ended up killing a he's right at that 370 375 mark um but yeah, that was, that's so far been my most memorable hunt. Um, I started out, uh, so out here, the early archery hunts start, um, usually about the second week of September and they go for 14 days. So you have a pretty wide window to try and get it done. So that's, that's pretty neat. Um, so I, uh, started out and, uh, went into some country and and seen quite a few bulls um the first we scouted the evening before and, and seen a real good bull and then went in there opening morning and there was people everywhere trying to chase him so we went out of there and went and talked to a couple of buddies of ours that were up there too and um he kind of gave us some different different places to go and check out and all that so we went and checked out a couple different places and then um so I hunted with my buddy for the weekend and then he had to go back to work so I was I was running solo for a few days until he could come back on the weekend and then um throughout the week I had <clears throat> some really really good encounters on in the morning hunts and they uh they just never panned out you know it was I called in a lot of bulls. I saw a lot of elk and um, a lot of small bulls, a lot of raghorns, you know, some 320s, 330s type bulls. And I had set <laughs> I a would goal give for anything myself. to see
0: something like that.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I, yeah. There was a lot of people. Like I was sending pictures to my sister of a bull that I called in that was like, he was like 320 or 330, and he raped a tree in front of me for. I don't know, ten minutes at thirty-seven yards, and oh I, I could have killed him really easily. But he just wasn't what I was up there for, you know. Yeah. I hunted. Um, it's no secret. I hunted Unit Nine, and Unit Nine is notorious for giant bulls. Um. So I I had a goal in mind to to at least um have expectations for like a three fifty plus bull. So that's okay. what I was going up there for. And so I had a couple really good encounters. I had another probably 380-type bull that um, I called in, and then the cows busted us, and it, it just didn't work out. The wind swirled, and it just didn't work out. And that was on, like, the night, probably night four, evening four or five maybe, three or four or five. I don't even know. By day eight when I killed my bull, I was so – Oh, yeah, like, don't I don't know, know what, what the
0: date is, day of the week? No. Nope. <laughs> I know yeah, that I'd feeling.
1: Had a hard time rolling out of bed. I was like, "Dang, I just kind of really want to sleep in right now." But um, so <clears throat> getting, I was getting kind of frustrated because I was running out of. I wasn't really running out of places, but there's just a lot of country up there, and so I just kind of. One evening, I was going to go out, and I was actually going to sit water. I was going to pop up a blind and and sit water one evening, and I. I was kind of driving around looking at some different drinkers and different tanks and stuff and none of them really like made me want to say oh yeah I'm really I really want to sit here you know and so I ended up just making a big loop back to the main road and got to the main road and I was looking on my onyx and I was just kind of like looking for a place to go and I had picked a spot on the map where I'd gone and found some sheds before, you know, cause I go, go and shed a hunt up there in the spring. And so I was like, Oh, I'll just go check this country out see what's over there. So I, uh, hop back on the highway and, and cross the highway and go to one of the other main roads and, and just haul bud over to this box. It was already getting later in the afternoon and I get up to, uh, where I wanted to go and I park the truck and, immediately when I turn the truck off, I roll down the window and I kind of just hang out for a second. Like two seconds after that, bugles are just popping off on the ridge next to me, like 300 yards. I was like, all right, well that works. I haven't (laughs) heard a bugle in the afternoon like this for (laughs) days. So I get up in there and it was just an elk frenzy. I mean, there was elk bugling and cows and just satellite bull. I mean, there was there was more elk than you could shake a stick at in that country. So I went in there and chased a bunch of elk around and ended up watching the bull that I killed the next day, um, fight another bull and picked up a broken point off of the bull that he was fighting. And um, yeah, so I chased them around and, and I had him at 52 yards that night and never could get a shot off. I, I tried to stop him and he stopped right behind a little like pinion juniper tree. And, and I, it was just wasn't ethical to send an arrow through yeah. that tree to try and kill him. So I, uh, let him walk that night. And then <clears throat> my game plan was to just get right back in there the next morning. So I <clears throat> woke up the next morning and got right in there. And it was the same thing. It was just like they had never stopped bugling all night, they were just on fire. Dang. So I, I uh, got in there and and I walked like seven miles in this country, just zigzagging, chasing bugles. And I called in 10 bulls that morning and then I was making a big loop back to my truck. And I had this one bull that I'd already called in twice that was just following me through the woods as I was kind of just giving little cow calls. And I was just, I was at that point, I was just messing around, trying to see if I could call him in for a third time and, you know, just playing around. And so he, he followed this drainage all the way down. So I just kind of kept walking the top of the ridgeline following and he got to a certain point and kind of stopped. And then he bugled one last time and got two other bulls fired up that were like 200 yards away from me. So I closed the distance on those bugles and get the wind, right. <clears throat> and, uh, I hit a cow call a couple of times and then I called in another like 330, 30, type bull, maybe that came in right behind me. I didn't even know he was there and I, he just popped up right behind me out of nowhere and I couldn't have shot him anyways. He was, he, he saw me and wheeled and turned as soon as I saw him. Yeah. So then I, gave, I gave a couple more soft cow calls and, my bull bugled one more time. And then I heard him coming through the trees. And I I saw him at about 20 yards coming through the trees. And I, I all I saw was just a big frame. And I was like, oh, he's a good bull. Like I'm he's 350 plus for sure. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and kill this bull. And so he was coming through the thick trees, and I drew back before he would see me, and he stepped into a window at 13 yards and I shot him at 13 yards. I stopped him and I shot him at 13 yards. And, um, I didn't account for how close 13 yards was. So I hit him kind of high and I thought it was, I, I thought it might've been like that dead man zone where there was like, it was above the lungs and below the spine where it was just not, Like I didn't think it was a good hit and I thought it might've been a little far forward in the shoulder. So I was kind of freaking out. Like, I don't know if this is going to be, I don't know. I just didn't know if it was a good shot or not. Yeah. So I kind of just sat down and hung out for a while and kind of cool, cooled myself down and ate a snack and drank some water and gave him about 45 minutes and um, called in one of my, one of my good friends, to come help and uh so we we got on his last track and last blood and I'm kind of following it around and he uh he said he's like why don't you go back to last blood and see if there's another track that splits off where there might be blood from him you know and I was like all right so I walked back and started doing that made a couple like 10-15 yard circles and couldn't find anything so I followed his track back to where uh Hunter was and he I found him and um he had glassed my bull and he said there's a dead bull right here and he's a giant and I said there's no way I said (laughs) that there's no way he's like yeah dude he's like he's right here and he's he's giant so I we walk up there and and it was it was a super emotional moment that was that was by far my most memorable hunt, for sure so far. And he's, um, he like I said, he's right at that three seventy ish mark. He's, he's, he's an awesome bull. So, so he, he was sweet. way way better than what I went up there expecting to kill. So yeah, it was super super awesome.
0: How uh, how did the shot placement end up? Did you did you see? Did you like double lung him just on the top of the lungs, or what ended up? Happening? Yeah,
1: so. So, um, basically it just caught the top of his lungs and he didn't bleed at all externally. Um, but he only ran like maybe 250 yards, 275 yards. So I would have found him if I had, if I had just kept going off the of last blood, Yep. you know, within the next 150 yards, but I just didn't want to push it. So I, I waited for them to come in and you know, do that. But yeah, as, as soon as we cut him open, the blood just poured out of his hide. So he, he bled internally really well. So I was super blessed for that.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so yeah, the broadhead did its job and, and yeah, I was, I was super blessed that it, that it worked out the way it did.
0: How, uh, how warm was it? Cause anytime I think of Arizona, I mean, I've been to Phoenix a couple times and it seems like it's always, uh- 150 degrees there you know i mean coming from the midwest i'm not used to that kind of heat um but like early season it's got to be scorching out there
1: yeah um unit nine is a super arid unit and it it was pretty warm um luckily that day i had a just a a just enough cloud cover to where it wasn't like super super hot, but the middle of the day it was getting up close to eighty degrees probably oh, okay. in the in the mid to high seventies. Um but it's also at like six thousand feet. So oh, okay. It feels a lot hotter than what it is. Yep. Um but yeah it was I mean it, it was pretty warm. The mornings were a little a little cooler, you know what you would kind of expect for an early season. Elk hunt in Arizona in that type of country it was probably in the 40s. It never really got down below that. So I mean, it wasn't like I it wasn't optimal conditions, but it was definitely uh, it was definitely good enough. I mean, the elk were going crazy. There, this was the best year that Arizona has had for an elk rut in a really really long time. So it was um, definitely a a year to have an archery bull elk tag in Arizona for sure. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. How, <clears throat> how, many points did it, uh, take you to draw that?
1: So I had, uh, nine bonus points when I drew that tag. Um, and I drew tag number 87 out of a hundred. So I didn't, okay. I didn't even draw in the bonus pass. I drew, I drew a random tag and I got super lucky. statistically i wasn't supposed to draw the tag and it was my second choice so i uh i got super lucky all the way around
0: (laughs) yeah i'm gonna i have i don't put in for a lot of of out-of-state hunts like i go and hunt wisconsin that's over the counter my colorado is over the counter but i do build points in colorado but arizona Mm -hmm. i've seen the bulls that come out of there and I'm like, man, I just need to start putting in because, you know, maybe in 10 years, 15 years, I'll finally draw and I'll be happy that I've been putting in.
1: Yeah, you know, and and you could draw on the first year that you put in. It, it's the, the way Arizona works is super neat because I could literally draw that tag again next year or a early archery bull tag next year with, with my two points, with my... Dang hunter education point and my loyalty point so um yeah it's or I could go another 20 years without seeing an archery elk tag you just never know so but yeah as a non-resident I would be I would be putting in um sooner than later for sure even if you just buy a point for the first couple years you know until you kind of get um get settled in and then you know or You can't win if you don't play, so might as well just just put in for the tag.
0: Yeah, I always look at it, and I'm like, all right, how much time can I really be gone? You know, I've got a wife and a couple young kids, and she's super Mm -hmm. understanding with me going and hunting. But I'm like, all right, where do I want to put my time in? Like, a moose hunt is way up on my bucket list, but I think second to that and a more doable hunt is going to be an archery elk hunt. Um, cause that's just something Mm -hmm. I've never done before. I told myself, uh, when I started elk hunting that I was going to figure out elk with a rifle first, because your success rate is so much higher. And, um, and then I would switch over to archery. And so now I've had a couple successful elk hunts and I think it's time to start looking at hunting, hunting with a bow.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it is a super, super fun hunt when they're bugling and you can call them in and it's totally worth it. You know, if you drew an, an Arizona archery elk tag, it, you would want to take the full two weeks to be able to do it. Yeah. Um, to maximize your opportunities and, and really maximize your time. Cause really in, in all honesty on, on typical years, Um, usually the first week of the early archery elk season is pretty slow for the bugling, not a lot, a whole lot of rut activity. And then the second week usually gets way, way, way better. Um, they really start, the cows start going into estrus, and they, they really start, start doing what elk are supposed to do in September. So, uh, the second week, in my opinion, is always better. Um, but like an anomaly year, like this year, it was, it was super, uh, it was super fun because the elk were bugling from day one. So, and it, and like last year there was, I, I've talked to a bunch of guys where last year. It was just absolutely brutal because we didn't get any, any rain. Um, there was no feed. The elk's body condition was just not in good shape for them to rut. Um, the cows didn't have enough fat on their body to go into estrus and it was just not a good year. So there was hardly any bugling activity and it was super, super rough. And then this year was the polar opposite of that. And it was just a frenzy everywhere over the entire state is what the reports I've been hearing is that the elk rut was just unbelievable
0: everywhere. So dang. Well, if I draw, I will be praying for loads of rain then. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. And snow. Um, That all plays into condition too with, you know, if we get a good winter and good spring moisture, then the antler growth is good. Um, the elk are in good body condition. They can they can put all that energy into growing their antlers. Uh, if they get good spring moisture all the way from, you know, January to really June. Um, by the time July comes around, all the elk are pretty much done growing. Um But yeah, the spring moisture is huge and then good monsoons for the elk to feed through that period up until the rut and they're good and fat and healthy, then the rut appears to be way, way better because their body condition is, is way, way better. Yeah. So
0: what, uh, what about other types of hunts out there? Are there any almost secret hunts that you can do in, in Arizona that most people wouldn't know about?
1: Um, you know, not, not really. Um, there's, as far as big game, not really. Um, the, the archery deer kind of used to be like a hidden gem. And then there was a lot of people that found out about it, you know, a lot of out of state people. And it used to be that, you know, you wouldn't hardly run into anybody in some of these units during archery deer season. and, now it can be kind of difficult because there is a lot of people um it can still be super fun like it can still be really productive a lot of people still kill deer but um there's really not any like hidden gem opportunities in arizona anymore the the small game hunting is really good too if you're into like quail hunting or like i would suggest if you do come out here and in January and try and hunt, deer with your bro, bring a shotgun. Um, there's boatloads of quail Sweet. to go hunt down in, in Southern Arizona. So yeah, that's a really good opportunity. Um, hunting is super, super fun too. Um, but yeah, there's, there's really not a whole lot of secret opportunities anymore in Arizona. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, some, there's kind of some sleeper units that, that, that'll hold some big deer, but really none of the units that I hunt, they're <clears throat> they're mostly in southern Arizona. I know there's a lot of guys that hunt down there. And but yeah, it's uh it's a super awesome state. The di- the diversity of country and the diversity of wildlife and everything there is here. It has a lot to offer and it can be super, super fun. Yeah. To come out here as a non-resident and, and see what you know, Western hunting is really all about because, uh, Arizona is, is a pretty prime example of that. You know, there's a lot of game. Um, there's a lot of opportunity and there's a lot of public land. So I think that's probably the biggest plus side of Arizona is the amount of public land we have here and national forest to hunt on it. Like, almost as far as the eye can see is pretty much what you can hunt. And it's, Dang. that's, that makes, that makes for a really fun hunt because the uh, the opportunities are endless at that point. You know, you look at a mountain, you're like, Oh, wow. I want to get up on top of that one and see what's on the other side, yeah. you know, or glass back to where I was just at. So it's, yeah. The amount of public land out here is mind boggling to a lot of people that come from back East or in the Midwest. And they're like, holy cow, like you can see for like a hundred miles out here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, man, that's awesome. So, Well, I'm pumped that you mentioned the quail hunt. We will definitely be bringing shotguns and that'd be an awesome bonus if we're not seeing elk and we can get a couple quail and eat them fresh. That'd be, that'd be amazing.
1: Yeah, there's, um, if, if you're going to buy a, a non-resident hunting license, you might as well make the most of it while you're out here and try and come hunt some quail and, and small game and rabbits or, you know, whatever you're into as far as
0: that goes. Yeah. So, and yeah. <clears throat> do you see that? The
1: other thing about Arizona too is that you can buy um, like a, like you can buy mountain lion tags over the counter. Oh, sweet. So, um, so yeah, if you do have the opportunity to, to shoot a mountain lion, it, there is, that opportunity too. Um,
0: do, do you see a lot of those they, while you're hunting out there?
1: Um, I I don't. I just saw my first two on my whitetail hunt this past November. Okay. And I've been out in the woods for, since I was 14 and I never seen them. So, um, but a, a lot of those units down in Southern Arizona have, have a lot of opportunity to see more mountain lions. I know a lot of guys that see, five, six, sometimes seven, eight, nine, ten 10 mountain lions a year. Dang. It's just glassing. So, yeah. There's, there's quite a few. Um, you just have to, to make sure that your that your region is open for that. Um, because they have a harvest quota for the okay. mountain lions in Arizona. So, you know, if you do buy a tag, it, it's worth having, but just make sure that the region is open and, and typically they are, um, there's not, I mean, there's, there's people that, that harvest them, but it's not a huge amount. So, and usually most of the units have a pretty high quota. Okay. So,
0: yeah, that'd be crazy. I have yet to see a mountain lion. Um, I've heard a lot of stories about encounters with them, but I'm hoping we'll see. I'm hoping to still go on my first mountain lion hunt out in Utah this year. And, uh, okay. And I can't imagine being up close and personal, especially like with a bow, if we're out there archery hunting mule deer and coming across a mountain lion, that'd be crazy, but yeah, maybe I'll bring a predator call also. So I'll bring my shotgun, my bow and a predator call.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And even, um, at the same time as archery deer, you can, you know, if you're into calling coyotes or, you know, predators like that, it's, uh, it is super, super fun Yeah, that, that's that's one of my one of my top favorite hunts is to go out and and hunt coyotes, and there is plenty of them to hunt. So
0: I was gonna say we, my wife's family lives northwest of uh, Phoenix, and they're in this nice subdivision. I mean, beautiful homes. And we were out playing basketball mm-hmm. at the basketball court one night, and I look I look over, and right in the middle of the street in the subdivision is this coyote just cruising in the street and I'm like, you gotta be kidding oh, yeah. me. Oh man, I would be, oh, yeah. I'd be unloading on animals out there. And, uh, I keep yeah, telling my friends, like that's one of my, to- that's, that's one of the top things I want to hunt. I mean, my goal is to hunt something in every state. And even right. if it was just coyote, that would be awesome being out in the desert, hitting the coyote call. And cause out there, I mean, you can see them from a long ways away.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty dang fun to call in coyotes. Um, we got, we got, me and my wife used to go out all the time together and we'd, we'd go and call every weekend and we'd go kill coyotes. And it was, it got to be where I would skip archery deer season just to go kill coyotes. Cause it was so much fun. So it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. If you're ever, if you're ever, if you do come out here, let's go kill some coyotes. I'm, I haven't been out for a while, so let's go do it.
0: Oh, I'd be <laughs> down for sure. That sounds like a great time. Um, before we started recording, you were telling me about uh, coos deer hunting and how that's become mm-hmm. uh, one of your favorite things to do. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because that I feel like that hunt is one of the uh, least talked about hunts in the country. I mean, everybody talks about Muleys, whitetail, uh, like, I mean, eastern whitetail elk bear mountain lion even, but coos deer just kind of got on the main radar of a lot of people in the past couple of years.
1: Yeah. You know, um, it really has started to become kind of a fad to hunt, uh, coos deer. Um, it, it, it for a lot, li- for a long time, it used to be one of those kind of hidden gem type of a hunts for Arizona. Um, and it, it still kind of is, there's, you know, there's not the amount of people that will come to Arizona, especially non-residents, you know, because a lot of non-residents are coming here to hunt the strip, uh, famously for the, you know, the biggest mule deer in the country, in the world, come from the Arizona strip and the Kayabab. So a lot of these non-residents will just put in for these, for these premium mule deer hunts. Um and not a lot of people really know about the coos deer hunts. And they they are a totally, totally different animal to hunt. They are super special. Um I've killed two now. Uh I killed my biggest buck this year. And for the people uh back east, you know, ninety inches. <clears throat> on an eastern white tail is like like a small six point you know yeah but 90 inches for a for a coos deer is is a is a serious prize like that's a that's awesome you know people strive for a 100 inch mule deer or a 100 inch coos deer and uh that's kind of the equivalent to probably like a 380 to 390 400 inch type bull you know Dang. if we're if we're doing that kind of comparison um they're not around every tree there is you know there's a lot there's a lot of coos deer down south the opportunities in southern arizona for coos deer are phenomenal um the deer numbers are through the roof there's there's a lot of coos deer down south um i hunt mostly central arizona um and so i i I I've kind of grown a little more, uh, prone to hunting that, that type of country. It's just because I, that's where I live, you know, so it's close to home. I can hunt from home. I don't, I don't have to camp, you know, for most, for most of my hunts, I don't, I can just hunt from my house for the most part. Um, which is super comforting Yeah, to come home and sleep in your own bed and take a shower every night. But, um, yeah, it's uh, the coos deer are a very special animal. They <clears throat> they blend in with their environment like you wouldn't believe. They they're so um, skittish and very alert. You know, if you watch them through the binoculars, they're they're always on edge. You know, always aware of their surroundings. They're they're extremely flighty. Um, they're super, super fun to hunt. They're, they're just, they're an unreal animal to hunt. I, like I, I killed three mule deer, four mule deer already. And now when I see a mule deer, I just don't even really get excited. You know, a a big buck, I'll get excited, but I'm just like, ah, mule deer. But you know, somebody says, oh, I got I got whitetail over here. I'm like, Oh, whitetail. That's cool. Let's go look at those. You know, they're just, they're, they're so fun to watch and they're so fun to hunt. Um, The challenge of hunting them is totally different. It's a totally different type of challenge. You know, you could be glassing an entire basin all day and not see a deer. And then all of a sudden you look where you've looked 400 times and all of a sudden a deer standing there, you know? So it's, yeah, they're crazy. They are super, super crazy.
0: Did you, uh, on both of your um, successful coos deer hunts, were those both with a bow?
1: No, um, they were both with a rifle.
0: Oh, okay. I so was going to say, by killed, the way you're describing yeah. them, I'm like, I can't even imagine someone getting that close to them.
1: Yeah, that's it's, um, it's a feat in itself to get within bow range of a coos deer, let alone try and kill them, you know they a lot of people talk about the you know string jump of the whitetail in the midwest and the back and back east and everything it's a totally different game with them because they're if they're anywhere under let's say 40 yards the you they will jump your string like massively jump your string they're crazy
0: man that sounds like a lot of fun and i'm guessing it seems like the farther south you go, the smaller the body of a whitetail gets. Are they pretty small, like one, 100 yes, pounds, 110 yeah. pounds? Yeah, so I think the
1: deer that I killed this year was probably, he was a fairly mature buck. I'd say he's probably about three and a half or four and a half maybe, right in that range. Not super old, but mature. And he was probably um, full weight you know guts and everything he was probably right around 105 pounds maybe wow like they're not they are not very big at all not compared to the mule deer you know a a big mature mule deer is 160 pounds 170 pounds in in like central and southern arizona yeah um you get up on the strip and some of that country those deer are 200 plus pounds you know they're just they're just big they're they're a different breed of deer totally like yeah as far as that goes they're just they're just bigger but yeah they are they're super tiny and that's why a lot of you know finding them is so difficult because most of the stuff that they live in is four feet tall you know so it's they're just not they're not visible for a lot of the time that you know you're looking for them until they step out in an opening and then And then they just, they disappear just as fast as they, as you see them. And then you never see them again, you know?
0: Dang. What, what kind of vegetation are you finding? Uh, or like what kind of vegetation I guess grows around where you're at? Is it, uh, do you get a lot of cedars out there or?
1: Yeah. So I live, um, in kind of a, like a transition area where, uh, it's called the muggy on rim. And so uh, on top of the rim, it's ponderosa pine forest. And then below the rim, it's a lot of juniper and, um, pinyon juniper country. So it's, it's super thick. And then big, big canyons, like there's some really big canyons in some of this country, um, that are, <clears throat> you know, when I'm talking a big Canyon, like, it's like 2000 yards across and, you know, like 700 yards to the bottom like Jeez. some of these canyons are are no joke big you know so sometimes you'll glass the deer across that canyon and you're like i can't I, there's no way i can't kill him yeah like there's no way there's really no way to do it <laughs> even with even with the long-range rifles nowadays that you know you can shoot a thousand plus yards it's like at what at what point do you say well you know that's it's just too far. And especially on an animal that stands three feet tall at the shoulder and weighs a hundred pounds. Like,
0: Oh yeah. Well, and then trying to, trying to recover them. Like even if you could get a good shot on it. Uh, yeah, we've, we've seen that like there's mule deer and elk, man, they get in some gnarly places that you would not expect. And, uh, we've run into guys out at elk camp and they're like, we hunt the toughest terrain you can find. We just find the nastiest hole out here and the elk love being in there as soon as the rifle, uh, as soon as they start hearing gunshots go off and they're like, we have success with it, but you shoot it, it might take a tumble down into this Canyon and it could be a couple days trying to get that thing out. And I'm like, man, I don't know if I'm up for that. You know, I'm not about to risk my life dropping down a cliff wall just to recover a bull elk. I'd rather take a smaller one and, and not die. Yeah, it's,
1: um, it can definitely be a challenge and you definitely have to take that into consideration. Um, one of the other things that is, is important about coming to hunt Arizona, like be in some, from some pretty decent physical shape, like expect to hike between, you know, four and 10 miles a day sometimes. Um, the more country that you can cover, the better your success can be. You know, yeah. you're, you're looking over the numbers, you're looking at as much country as you can. So being in, you know, relatively good to top physical shape is, can definitely benefit you a lot. Cause a lot of people that, you know, there's a lot of people that aren't, you know, that barely leave the roads, you know? So if you can get, you know, a mile or more off the roads, it eliminates probably, 75% or more of the people. Okay. That you're going to be competing with. So
0: Yeah. Man, that's awesome. I'm I'm excited. I'm ready to get down there. Uh I just love hunting. I love hunting new things. I love hunting new places. Uh the scenery and just being out in creation is enough for me most of the time, but it's always a bonus to draw the string back or pull the trigger on something big. Um what a right. What what's your bucket list hunt? Like if you could pick anything, anywhere, any weapon, uh, what is it that you would, you would choose?
1: Oh man. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, would say like a sheep hunt in Alaska or, you know, something crazy like that. But I think probably moose, Moose would be one of my bucket list hunts, um, like a, like the Alaska Yukon moose I think are super cool. Um, yeah, I'd probably, that's probably my number one. Um, maybe like a, like, like caribou, yeah. you could hit the migration just right up there. I think caribou would be a, a super fun hunt too. Um, but yeah, I'd, I don't know. I'd probably moose, I would say.
0: Yeah, that's number one for me for sure. And it's funny because I'd say probably 90% of my podcast guests have said some species in Alaska. And mm-hmm. I think that just goes to credit people's love for the outdoors, not just for the game that they're pursuing, but like Alaska right. beautiful. And I mean, you've seen the postcards, you've seen the videos from there and it's like, even if you walk away unsuccessful, as far as bringing home meat goes, the trip is still going to be a success getting to spend however much time you can up there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just to go to Alaska is, is one of my, is one of my bucket list things, not even just to hunt, but just to go and, and experience, you know, the last frontier, you know, that it is, it is a, it's a truly special place to be.
0: Yeah, every time, I've been twice and both times that I've gone up there, once was with my wife, once was with a couple guys that I know, and I'm like, dude, I might not come back, just a heads up. Like, you guys might not see me again, I might just stay up there, get a tiny chunk of land in the middle of nowhere and build a log cabin and live out the rest of my days there and uh yeah. my wife was actually kind of on board for it at one point and then she's like yeah but we're gonna have to come back during the winter
1: yeah yeah I was just gonna say the, the winters can be pretty brutal um but I think another probably another one of my bucket list hunts would be uh axis deer on in Hawaii on Lanai oh, Island yeah I've heard that that is just like a an unreal hunt because there's so many there's so many of them yep you know your your opportunity to, to see them is like 110 percent you know killing them with a bow is a different story but um you know you could get it done with a rifle pretty easily but i think that would be another super fun hunt to go on I, i've been to hawaii but i've never i've never been to uh lanai or, or on the islands where they have the the deer at yeah and hunted them so,
0: I think yeah, that, that would be
1: another.
0: That would be one that my wife would be much more on board for, and I could be gone oh, as yeah. long as I want. At that point, I mean, <laughs> she'd be hanging out with yeah. margaritas on the beach, and I'd be out axis deer hunting. So, yeah, yep. I, I guess I haven't really thought about that. I never think when it comes to hunting, like tropical uh, locations or destinations, they just don't cross my mind. I think like mountains, remote, big forests. And, uh, I guess I got to change my thought process on that a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think moose would be number one for sure. And the, the next one for me, I don't even, I I mean, it's not technically a hunt, but I want to, I want to run a trap line still in Alaska or like in Canada. I would love to run a trap line for like a week. And a friend of mine actually found a guy that you can, you can pay and just go run trap lines with him. Uh, you could do it on dog sled or snowmobile, and I'm like, man, that would be okay. so cool to go shoot shoot some rabbits or grouse or whatever. Use that as bait, right. and he catches everything from wolves to wolverine, uh, lynx, coyote, fox. All I mean, uh, I think pine martin. Like that would be. That would be the trip of a lifetime. I might almost pick that over a moose hunt if I could go run a trap line successfully for a week.
1: Yeah. you know, I've got um a couple buddies down here in Arizona that run trap lines for Bobcat down oh, nice. in like eastern Arizona. And um they do really, really well. Uh the bobcat pelts are worth quite a bit of money. Or they they were. They they've gone down a little bit. Um but that's one of the bigger reasons I got into hunting predators and coyotes and and things like that for a little while I'd, I uh I got into um trying to get into the fur market and and sell the furs and make a little bit of money yeah um or, of course I lost my ass because it was I spent way I <laughs> spent way more money on supplies and fuel and e-collars and you know ammunition than I ever made back on yeah the pelts that I sold, but the experience was still fun and it was, it was totally worth it. Um, but yeah, they, they do, they're pretty successful. They make, they make a pretty decent chunk of change off of those bobcats that they catch in Eastern Arizona.
0: Yeah. And once you, once you get good at it, I mean like learning animal behavior enough to trap them in a tiny little foothold, uh, you really have to know your stuff, but I've, yeah. seen, I've seen the pictures even from here in Missouri because there's a ton of guys that trap here. And they'll mm-hmm. have dozens of bobcat. I mean, 50 coyotes, raccoons, um, even like uh, beavers and muskrat and all kinds of stuff. And that seems like a lot of fun. I'd love to do it. Um, I tried trapping a couple years ago. Well, n- more than a couple, probably a half a dozen years ago. And it was funny. I just... I had shot a deer and put some footholds out around it. Didn't like scent, like put any scent on them or whatever. I just knew if I put this deer carcass out, I'm going to have coyotes come in and eat on it. Well, my buddy, he was coming out the next day to, um, to deer hunt. And I was about to go out of town and I said, listen, I'll leave the traps out as long as you close them up after you leave. Or if you're not going to come out, I'll close them up right now. Um, cause I was leaving early in the morning and he was coming out early in the morning. Well, he gets out there mm-hmm. and he looks out and it was right behind my house. I mean, probably a hundred yards out in this field. He pulls in and sees two sets of eyes right there, uh, where the traps were. He gets out there and it was the neighbor's dogs. They had come and oh, they wow. were eating. Luckily it didn't, it didn't break their feet Um, he said they limped off. And then by the time I got home from my trip, I mean, they were fully running around again, but I don't think they ever came back on my property after that. Uh, but I made sure. No, I, I went and I, I drove by the house that they're from and they were just running around fine at that point, but I felt bad. And I was like, man, that's the last time I do that. But that's one thing I have to worry about because, around where I live and where I hunt, there's so many different houses and people just don't keep their dogs on a leash in the yard in a fence. Like the dogs just run free. I've had great Pyrenees come into coyote calls out there, like just giant great Pyrenees. One of them, I don't know if it got shot or hit by a truck or what, but it's jaw is broken and it's tongue is just hanging out. And I would see it all the time out in the woods. It busted my deer hunts probably a half a dozen times. And wow. I'm like, man, it sucks because I would love to trap, but that's one of the main reasons why I haven't fully gotten into it. Cause I don't want encounters like that. I don't want to catch somebody's cat or dog again. Uh, that made me sick when I found out about it. So.
1: Yeah. They, so in Arizona, foothold traps are illegal. They oh, okay. outlawed them. So you can only use, yeah, you can only use live catch okay. traps like the, the cage traps, yeah. which I'm totally okay with. Um, I'm not against the foothold traps, but, uh, at the same time, it's, you know, like they don't, they're not designed to, to hurt them. You know, like they, like, like you said, it didn't really, it didn't break their, their foot or any of their bones in their, in their paw or whatever. But, um, you know, and I've
0: seen videos of
1: guys that just put their hand straight into the trap and let it snap on their hand. And they're like, yeah, "Yeah, you know, it yeah. It, hurt, it but, hurts.
0: It just holds. It doesn't, you know, it's not right. like it's snapping off a limb. And right. I, I think the old school stuff did, but now there's more humane traps to keep the pain and suffering down. Right. But, you know, and, and to, at the same time, it's, um,
1: they're uh, I, I just think that live catcher probably a little more humane. Oh yeah. In my honest opinion, you know, they, they, they kind of just go in there and they just get trapped in a trap yeah. but yeah it's definitely an art form regardless of however you trap but you know like foothold traps would probably be a little you know safer if you know for a fact that you know you're far enough away from you know like in Alaska or Canada where there's nobody for hundreds of miles and you're just running a trap line out in the middle of the northern woods yeah. You know, you're not going to catch somebody's domestic animal.
0: No. So. Yeah, that was the one yeah. and only time I ever put out traps like that. I mean, I've caught tons of animals in live traps because uh, here where we're at now, we've got chickens. And so uh, in, in the off season from hunting, I would still look forward to going and checking traps every day. I mean, we, we'd we put marshmallows in uh at the back of a live trap outside of the chicken coop. And one, I'm like, some of the animals are gonna smell it, and it's sweet. Or if it's just like a walk by, they might think it's a chicken egg, because we've had we've had animals get in and just tear up every chicken egg they can find. And uh, yeah, and so I'm like, man, I'm just gonna put this marshmallow in. And I've caught so many possums and raccoons. I haven't caught. I think those are the only things I've caught in it. But uh, I think we're out of chickens right now. We've lost so many to to raccoons wow. and possums, even armadillos, I guess. I've never caught an armadillo, but apparently they'll they'll get in and tear up some chicken eggs and even kill chickens.
1: Wow, I've never heard that. That's crazy. Do you guys have a lot
0: of foxes? We do. Um, I actually, the first time we lost a chicken out here, I put a trail camera up on one of the fence posts. And that night, uh, I had a fox run right past the chicken coop. Now, our coop has a solar door, and so when the sun goes down, uh, typically the chickens are all back inside, and then the door closes. But we have a farrowing house for when the pigs give birth, and it's just an open door. The pigs can come in and out. But some of the chickens, if there's pigs in there, we leave the light on, and the chickens will just stay in there because the light's on, and they won't actually go back in their coop. And so then that's where we lose almost all of them. Um, but I've got, gosh, I can't tell you how many pictures of coyotes, fox, and bobcat I have right here within like a hundred to 200 yards of my house. No, I believe it. So I haven't predator hunted out here yet. Again, I think probably because of how many dogs are around. Um, I just don't want the dogs to come in. And then even, uh, where we're at the neighbor or the guy we rent from, he lives like 50 yards away from us. Um, he's got a yellow lab and if he's out, he likes to follow me down to my tree stand. So I typically have to put him in his kennel (laughs) and I'm like, man, I just don't want to be out in the woods and coyote calling. And all of a sudden Cooper shows up (laughs) wagging his tail, busting my hunt. Right. So, well, man, uh, we're, Oh dang, we're over an hour. Um, I appreciate the time and you hopping on sharing all about Arizona. Uh, it's, not a place that I ever really thought of as a hunting destination, but after chatting with you, um, and then after talking with Linnea, I'm looking forward to getting out there this year. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Come on out, man. It's, uh, it truly is a a great opportunity to come out and and experience a different kind of hunting. Yeah. Um, like I said, there's, there's a, there's a bunch of opportunity and if you're going to buy that non-resident hunting license for, 160 bucks or whatever it is you might as well maximize your your money and come hunt some quail and some small game while you're hunting deer and you know enjoy some of the some of the finer things that Arizona has to offer so
0: yeah man I'll I'll definitely be taking you up on a coyote hunt soon too that sounds like a great time
1: sure yeah let's go I've got my e-collars and um yeah I've had a lot of fun hunting coyotes, so I kind of know how to hunt them effectively in Arizona now. So,
0: That's sweet. Um, Well, hey, I'm going to give you the final word here. I call this segment unloading the chamber. So uh, anything you want to leave the listeners with.
1: Cool. Um, Yeah. Uh, You guys can find me on Instagram at uh, hunt underscore no underscore az um and that's pretty much the only social media platform that i'm on um that i fairly actively post so yeah you can follow me on there and kind of follow along on my adventures and and uh yeah look at my harvest and all that kind of stuff um other than that yeah Arizona's a a great place to live i i've grown up here and have no intentions of leaving yet so yeah. um uh, it is a it is a awesome state for sure and i'm happy to see people come out and enjoy what what the state has to offer for its hunting opportunities because it, it, they truly are special and we might not have them um as long as people may think so i guess uh take advantage of the opportunities while they're here and um, yeah just en- enjoy what it has to offer out here
0: that's awesome man well thanks again I appreciate you hopping on and we will definitely stay connected
1: yeah for sure
0: and that is going to wrap it up for today's episode I hope you guys had a good time listening to that because I had so much fun chatting with Morgan picking his brain on all the information about Arizona and I look forward to connecting with him when I head down there for my mule deer hunt next next month yeah um, I want to make you aware of something real quick. So the drawing that I've been talking about for Hunter Lashinsky, the first or the 15 person round ended by the time this podcast came out, but it's currently the last day and he's sitting in third place. So what that means is he should advance to the five man round. They're going to pick out of those 15, the five with the most votes. And so I need you to keep going on that site and voting for Hunter um. Yeah, I think it's going to be good. I think he's got a serious chance of winning this thing, and hopefully he does. So your support in that would be great. Check out the link in my bio and any of my social media pages, as well as the description of this podcast episode has the link for you to go and vote. You can vote every single day which is awesome. Well, I think it's every 24 hour period because I tried to vote one day at like 10am and the next day at 8am and it said I had already voted in the 24 hours. So you might have to space it out and just keep getting later in the morning each time you vote or later in the evening. However you do that, if you would, that would be a huge help. And uh, I know that that Hunter would greatly appreciate it. I don't think he actually knows that I'm doing this on the podcast at all. So that's kind of cool. But hopefully you guys are finding some success out in the outdoors. I've got a lot of big news coming up. I can't share it just yet, but some really cool stuff developed the other day while I was out duck hunting and I'll be sharing that here in the coming episodes. So stick around and stay tuned for that. But until next time, always choose adventure and God bless.